today's episode of High Tech Sunday, our hosts, Dr. Mark Vaughn and Lango Dean, sit down with physical scientists for the United States Naval Research Laboratory and 2021 Women of Color STEM Conference Community Service and Government Awardee, Dr. Treva Brown, for a conversation on how children are the future. Up first is Corning Incorporated's Manager of Technical Talent Pipelining, Dr. Mark Vaughn. Next is Career Communication Group's Senior Technology Editor, Lango Dean. Finally, our esteemed guest, Dr. Treva Brown. With a passion for microscopy, she helps the Department of Defense gain a better understanding of organisms that cause corrosion on metal materials. Dr. Brown is active in outreach and mentorship activities and advocates for STEM outreach in the local community where she spearheads initiatives aimed to improve diversity and inclusion within the scientific community. Emphasizing this outreach, Treva holds the 2021 title of Miss Black Louisiana International Ambassador, advocating her platform, Yes You Can, which encourages youth and young adults to attain their goals no matter the obstacles especially in the STEM field. And without further delay, High Tech Sunday, featuring Dr. Mark Vaughn and Lango Dean. Well, thank you so much, Brandon, and good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to another episode of High Tech Sunday. It is always a pleasure to have you join us as we carve out some time to speak with really interesting, influential, and provocative guests as we are engaging as a global technology community. And today's episode is certainly no exception. Really excited to welcome Dr. Treva Brown today. As you've heard, she is going to share with us, among other things, about the topic of children are the future. Really looking forward to speaking with this Women of Color winner for 2021. So let's get into it. Good afternoon, Dr. Brown. How are you? Good afternoon. I am amazing. How about yourself? I love that. I'm doing very well as well. Thank you so much. Looking forward, as I said, to getting an opportunity to learn more about both your vocation and your avocation, those things that are your passions. And to get things started, what we like to do is kind of have the elevator moment where we learn about what makes you tick. And uh, that gives us a, a peek behind the curtain, if you will, as we look at your personal background. So let me ask you, what is Dr. Treba's professional background? Why did you choose to pursue the path that you did? And when did you know that this was the career for you? Yes, so I honestly did not know that I wanted to be in science or chemistry or even research. I didn't even know what a PhD was. I thought that when you talked about STEM, that you were talking about a STEM on a plant. I kid you not. Um, so <laughs> for me, you know, a lot of, you know, kids, you know, they matriculate through school and life and they're like, oh, I want to be a doctor, a lawyer, a teacher, you know, what have you. Um, but to be honest, my first passion is dance. So I actually love to dance. Um, I was classically trained in ballet. I still love to dance. I don't know if my bones want me to dance, but <laughs> still love to dance. But um, it wasn't until my 11th grade physics 
class, I had a teacher that actually saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. Um, she told me about the STEM disciplines. Um, her husband actually was a physics teacher at the Louisiana State University in Baton Rouge. So I was like, yeah, okay, you know, kind of shrugged it off because I hated physics. I still dislike physics. Um, but, you know, for her to tell me, you know, about this particular area of study, I was like, let me look into it. So I looked into it and she told me about the money that was there. And, you know, for my parents, they had sacrificed so much for me um, in school. I'm an only child, by the way. Um, but I thought that they had sacrificed so much. The least I could do is try to get a scholarship to go to school, right? So I was like, okay, so there's money in it. You're saying that since I'm an African-American young lady that I might really, really have a chance at this. So all of those things kind of played a factor into me even just looking at um, going into the STEM disciplines. So when I get it, got into my senior year, looked more into it, started kind of piecing away, picking away at like the different areas of STEM that you can go into. Um, and long story short, I decided to do chemistry because at the end of the day, I found myself always asking questions. I always wanted to know why was something made like this or why did something look like that? Um, so uh, it actually was a program at LSU. I always knew I wanted to go to LSU. That was just kind of one of those things that I always knew. Um, and looked into a program that was spearheaded by an African-American chemist. And, you know, I was like, hey, he looks like me. He's not a female, but he's a person of color. So I was like, let me try my hand at going for the scholarship. And again, <laughs> to make an even longer story short, you know, I was blessed with the opportunity and the scholarship. And I feel that chemistry really chose me because, I mean, like since I you know, declare that as my major, I didn't do like a lot of um, students do and kind of flip flop back and forth. I stuck with it and it's definitely paved the way for me to be where I am today. I love that testimony. And it's interesting how our paths actually are a little bit similar. It was 11th grade physics when I decided uh, that I wanted to pursue science. Prior to that, I wanted to be not a dancer. You don't want to see that. But, um, <laughs> but uh, I wanted to be an educator. Uh, and it was my 11th grade physics teacher, uh, never forget it, Mrs. Ryder, who got me excited about physics. So my undergrad is actually in physics. Unlike you, I didn't hate it. I actually kind of liked it. Uh, but it's really cool how those seeds can be planted so early for us. And then uh, as you continue to develop through your undergraduate opportunities, how it really was something that is not lost on me. You said that chemistry chose you. And that's really an interesting commentary because we've heard that from other speakers on High Tech Sunday as well. But they go on to kind of talk about how it is that it was kind of a God moment, that it was something that he had invested in them. And so when the time came, it became clear that that was their pathway. So let me ask you, uh, and we're going to learn more as we go further, but what is your passion? Now that you've kind of settled in, you, you're on uh, your way, if you will, but what is it that gets you up in the morning? What drives you? 
So what drives me is our kids, our future. So I don't have any kids of my own, so I honestly don't know where this passion has come from. But I guess if I had to pick a moment in time that actually kind of laid out that foundation, if you will, um, would have to be graduate school. Um, I partook in a lot of outreach in STEM, so different kind of science activities, et cetera. And there was this one moment that I never forget, and I feel like I literally can write a book based on this <laughs> uh, event. And there was a young brown girl who looked at me like, honestly, like, you know, you know how you look at something that you just never seen before and you're just standing there in astonishment and you just really cannot take your attention and focus off of it because so many different things are going through your mind. So this little brown girl, she was looking at me just like this. And so, you know, I'm looking at her and of course, to me, I'm like, okay, like, is there a bug on my face? Is it something, you know, because I've been working in, you know, chemicals and stuff all day. So, you know, what is it? Um, and so she continues to look. And finally, you know, I, I kind of bend down a little bit closer to her. And as I'm bending down to her, she reaches out her hand and she proceeds to touch right on my cheek. And so I'm like, really like, okay. Um, and she says, I've never seen a scientist that looks like me. And in that moment, if I could have let out a tear, I probably did let out a tear not thinking about it. Like it just took me aback. You know, I was like, wait a minute. Like she's never seen a scientist that looks like her. And that kind of just, you know, catapulted me into actually looking into what is it that we're exposing you know, our kids too, you know, growing up for me, I never, it never dawned on me that I actually had never seen a scientist that looked like myself until I actually got to LSU. Um, so, you know, I, I just, I just made it a point to be that representation that that little girl didn't get to see. And hopefully that if other little girls and little boys out there haven't seen a scientist that looks like them, hopefully I can be that representation for them. Wow. Wow, that really is such an important connection that you've made for us and how we can pay it forward in ways that we don't even realize uh, when you think about it. So before we drill down on that some more, I want to back up. I said uh, a little bit ago that oftentimes people acknowledge that it was kind of an investment by God that uh, has allowed them to really connect with the STEM pathway and then the other outreach opportunities that they pursued. So how would you say that your spirituality has informed not only your vocation as a chemist, but your avocation uh, as someone who is doing incredible things with outreach in the community? So um, my parents uh, are definitely Christian parents, and I was raised in a Christian household. And for some reason or the other, the word faith was always a word that stood out to me. Um, you know, of course, being, you know, younger, I didn't understand it fully then, um, but I always gravitated towards the word faith. And of course, you know, we know that I kind of, you know, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, and, uh, you know, my parents would always pray for me. I would always hear my dad, you know, he would go into the bathroom and I could hear him say, you know, Lord, keep, you know, your hands on my daughter. And I'm just like, you know, well, daddy, I'm fine. But, you know, I didn't realize, you know, until, you know, of course, at an older age that, you know, it takes people to pray for you too, not just yourself. 
So I feel like my parents were planting that seed. And when I was ready, I was able to take hold of that seed and water it and let it bloom. And so one of the words, again, that I said re resonated with me was faith. And definitely my faith has taken me through because there has been many times where I have been like, I cannot do this. I am not smart enough. I am not good enough. I do not look like the next person. I do not look like the person that I see on this stage. All kinds of things will go through my mind. And, you know, in the times and the moments that I wanted to give up, of course, I would pray, but it really, really took my faith to keep that longevity going to continue towards the different goals that I kept for myself, because there was many times that I threw in the towel and I said, you know what, that's it. I give up. But then, you know, I know that this was God sending someone to step in because every time I kid you not that I would say I'm done. Someone would step in and say, you got this, or you didn't come this far to quit, or something. And it didn't, it, it didn't, you know, resonate with me then. But now, when I look back on it, I'm like, you know what, God? That was you stepping in right on time when you knew I was about to give up. Um, so, you know, definitely holding steadfast to my faith and just knowing that, you know what, I might not see the end goal now. But I know that there's a reason that I'm continuing to chart this course. And I definitely am seeing that now because you couldn't have told me as a 2007 freshman at LSU that I would be catapulting on this journey to being a federal government scientist and winning awards such as the one that I'm being awarded for now. So definitely holding on to my faith has definitely kept me to, on this journey. That's amazing. And and if we have time, I want to drill down even further on uh, some of the headlines that I that I took away from what you were just saying, especially about staying the course. I think that that really is a, a powerful concept that all of us are familiar with. But it's one of those things that sometimes is easier said than done. So exactly. uh, let's pivot. it. Let's pivot. Children are the future. So we've already said with great excitement and congratulations that you are the 2021 Women of Color Community Service Award winner. How awesome is that? So talk to us about the, the moment that you found out that you were going to receive this honor. What does this award mean to you? So let me tell you, first of all, I was like, do y'all have the right Treva Brown? Because I did not <laughs> realize. I'm like, what did what did little old me do that was so amazing that I would win an award such as this? And especially being an early career scientist, I'm like, look, I'm only three years in. I don't really have, you know, all of the skill sets as my senior uh, colleague. So so what is it that set me apart for this award? So also, so of course, all that's going through my head. But at the same time, I'm like, oh, my goodness, I won. Like, I really won. Um, so, you know, of course, the excitement and just the, you know, like, I don't know, I guess the wow factor. <laughs> I know what you mean. And it really is something that is never lost on us uh, who are involved in any way with the uh, CCG family and the Black Engineer of the Year Awards, Women of Color Technology and STEM Awards. It never gets old when you uh, see how excited people are and even surprised 
that they've been recognized. So um, when you think about your passion, because again, we're, we're talking about your community service uh, acknowledgement, you have this passion for helping young people, and it's largely influenced by your own background growing up in Louisiana. So can you talk to us a little bit more about growing up in Louisiana as a young black girl? Yes, so definitely. So I grew up in North Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and for anyone that may be listening, the 70805 area code. So when you look at the demographics, I am not one to hinge upon, you know, like, oh, that's just not a great part of the city, or, you know, there's a lot of crime in that area, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it wasn't the best neighborhood to grow up in, but, you know, of course, I feel like family always makes places home. So for me, um, you know, again, only child grew up to two parents. Um, you know, my dad grew up in the era of segregation. He was one of the first to actually integrate city buses and one of the first African-American to actually drive the city buses. So, you know, for him, a lot of what he's seeing me do now, I know that he's just like, if only you knew like the sacrifices that we made for you to have these opportunities. So I want to start from that humble beginning. And I think from those beginnings and being able to live in the area that I lived in and knowing that, you know, for the schools that I went, um, that I was supposed to go to, um, because my parents actually put me in private school, so I didn't go to those schools. You know, we didn't really have any, a, a success rate for, you know, being able to graduate, probably even high school. Um, a lot of students in those particular areas, you know, they go to school because they have to, but then they drop out or, you know, whatever, whatever the case may be. Um, so it definitely took my parents to make sure that I, you know, stayed the course that they wanted me to go because they you know they always say you know we want you to do better to be better we're trying to provide better and that's definitely one of the things um that always stayed with me that's one of the things um that i've always heard resounding in my head whenever you know i think about you know my um, upbringing so you know i would even go to school sometimes especially in high school and you know a lot of times my friends would be like oh you know we're gonna go to such and such house and I was actually, you know, too shy to tell people where I live because I was just like, no, nah, I don't think y'all feel comfortable in like my neck of the woods. But anyway, growing up as a black child in Louisiana, you know, I feel like we, did, we weren't offered the same opportunities. A lot of the times we were written off before we could even open our mouths to speak about what it was that we wanted to do, um, what it was we wanted to partake in, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I even had that even going to the institution I went to for college, you know, people would just write me off, honestly, because of the color of my skin, wouldn't even turn around and look at me or offer me help. So those are some of the things that I went through um, growing up in Louisiana. But, you know, it definitely took, and I know I'm pivoting a little bit, um, you know, it took mentors as well to help me navigate that course too, because I feel like just with some of the background that my parents had, you know, it wasn't enough to get me through some of the obstacles that I faced, um, you know, honestly, just because of the color of my skin. So, you know, so there were, you know, some things that we had to deal with just based on, you know, like just me being a black girl, which is unfortunate, but it was definitely ways to overcome them. 
that really is, I think, uh, uh, again, such a powerful part of your story, your testimony, if you will, uh, that, that there are things that uh, were maybe at the time, this was my norm, but as you began to uh, grow and experience life, you realize, yeah, this, this wasn't necessarily all, you know, cupcakes and butterflies no, uh, as, you're, as, you're, as you're growing up. But it was really cool. You said something. And again, I, I look at headlines as, as our guests are speaking. Uh, and you said that one of the things that perhaps not so much shielded you, but made things uh, seem not as difficult as they were, you said that your family always made whatever the place was home. And, and I think that that really is um, a significant blessing uh, about uh, your story and the, the, the support that you clearly had uh, and, and the parents wanting you to exceed them uh, and the support you're getting there. But let's talk about how you've been paying it forward. So uh, really, really um, would love to hear about your YouTube channel and the programs that you put together uh, to help young people learn about STEM opportunities. Like you said, some may not be getting them through the traditional avenues in, in school. So you're filling the gap. Can you talk to us about those programs? Yes, definitely. So um, while in, again, graduate school, I love the outreach component. So when I actually started work at the Naval Research Laboratory, one thing that I was actually surprised by was the fact that they, you know, they welcomed my love of outreach opportunities. Because when I started working, I honestly just did my outreach like after work or on the weekends, because in my mind, I was like, well, I can't do this, you know, while working. Um, and actually, one of my friends was talking to some colleagues at work about an event that I had hosted over the weekend and my one of my supervisors caught wind of it and he was like well why are you just like limiting yourself to the weekend and I'm like because I work how can I do that and so he's like hey you know if that's what you're passionate about hey you, you know you're you're representing us and you know you're doing us you know a good deal and you know you're also giving back to the community you know that's something that is you know meant to be rewarded and put out there so um that's how it started i was able to you know partake in a lot of outreach events even you know while working and so from there you know i just i don't you know just wanted to still give back whatever way possible. Now, we all know that 2020 was just definitely a year of pivots and change. And so it did not stop with just the world shutting down. And I honestly had to remember that because of course for myself, you know, I'm an outgoing extroverted person. And that's probably another reason why I love outreach too. <laughs> I just love, I just love engagement with um, just people, people, adults, kids, um, anyone. So um, for me, you know, I took a much needed break first, but then I quickly got bored. So I thought to myself, what is it that I could still do while we're still, you know, navigating these just uncharted courses all together as a world and a whole? Um, so, you know, some of my good friends and, you know, my friends have definitely been my supporters in my STEM endeavors because my parents just think I do too much now. Um, but my uh, some of my good friends were like, hey, you know, use our kids. Like, we're going to put our kids on, on uh, FaceTime and you do something with them. Um, so that's how it started. You know, uh, two of my best friends, they let me borrow their kids for my own science experiment and um, I did some some outreach things with them and they absolutely loved it and so then I put on Facebook hey I need some kids I need some kids to do some science experiments with 
And when I tell you by the end of the evening, I had over a hundred and something responses like, hey, take my kids, my grandkids, my nieces, my nephews. Um, <laughs> so that's how it all started as far as like my virtual outreach with STEM. So then, of course, it, you know, began catching on and some of my other friends helped me with the YouTube version of it, you know, putting it on YouTube. Now, I'm still needing help with that <laughs> because it is a lot of time. It is very much time intensive. Uh, but yeah, that's how it all started. I just wanted to continue doing what I was able to do outside, but now inside. And it's definitely been a very positive response. That's very cool. So, so you said that people let you borrow their children. Yes. <laughs> and, then, and then the and then the word got out, and folks were like, "Take mine too." And I understand that you have children that you're reaching as early as four years old. So, some some might think, "Okay, is how young is too young?" So, so what kind of activities do you do with four year olds, and and how do you know that it's being impactful? So this came about, of course, um, it was one of my um, my uh, contacts on Facebook. Her little boy is, was four at the time. And she was just like, just do something with colors or something. So we did a coffee filter experiment where he was able to like color on the paper. Um, and then I, we put it in water and he was able to watch the color travel, quote unquote. And he's like, oh, mom, this is so cool. And so it literally caught on from there. So, you know, I would say that 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 age and I am not a childhood specialist whatsoever. So please do not quote what I say. Um, but I think at that age, we just spark the curiosity. So, you know, you know, by him being able to see that Hey, look! Something is something different is happening with colors. Instead of it just saying stationary, it's actually moving. Like, what is this? So, you know, it's my hopes that at the ages of like four and five, you know, you know, students can, you know, hopefully remember some of that. And then as they start matriculating to, you know, like, you know, maybe seven and eight when things are really starting to catch on, that they can be like, you know, I kind of remember doing something where some colors changed and moved. So. Let's try to do this. So, you know, basically bringing out the exploratory, you know, imagination in them at that age. And then it's just so amazing for them to see something as simple as a color move. And they're like, oh, my gosh. And their eyes are so big. It's, it's always the, the expressions for me. <laughs> That's very cool. And and I, I think that we can quote you. Uh, I sponsor programs that go from pre-K to PhD. So getting kids turned on at age four or five is absolutely on point. And we need more of that for real. And so when you when you think about uh, those faces, and, and I'm even going back to um, when that student actually was mesmerized, um, uh, almost almost making you feel a little like, what's wrong with her? Um, <laughs> <laughs> she, had to reach, she had to reach out and touch to see if you were real. Um, what what would you say if you had to name one? And I'm sure that it's not easy. What is like the standout um, experience from one of your outreaches that that really was kind of a, a big deal for you? Okay, so I am going to have to go the non-traditional Louisiana traditional route, if that makes sense. So in Louisiana, we are known for parades, right? You know, we're known for parading our crazy. So in my in my defense, <laughs> parading my uniqueness as a scientist. Um, and so I actually took part in a St. Patrick's Day parade that we had in the area. And so are you ready for this? 
I threw yeah. out goggles with my name, how you contact me, the different opportunities that are out there for internships, etc. And I actually had students actually, you know, get in contact with me. I was like, hey, we caught one of your goggles at the parade and we want to learn more. Um, so I uh, invested in this high school student, um, a young lady from um, a local high school. And you know, she did a summer internship with me. She was super amazing, had to get up off her phone a little bit, but she was also, she was definitely amazing. Um, and that experience for her turned into her actually deciding what she wanted to do when she went to college. She still keeps in touch with me. Um, and she said, I never would have thought that I wanted to do science until I caught your goggles at the parade. And so that one, that one is my most recent one that I'm like, oh my goodness, who would have thought that parading our crazy you would actually get students excited about science. <laughs> that is fun. Awesome. Awesome. And I, I think that, you know, getting creative uh, is absolutely one of the ways that we hook uh, young people uh, when it comes to things like, like STEM in the first place, for real. You touched on something earlier that I want to swing back to uh, because uh, it's the subject, I guess, of one of your books. You shared how you had to lean into your faith uh, because in some regards, fear was threatening to stop you. I'm done, hands up, and then bam, somebody was there uh, to help you know you can do this. Uh, and so we, we had this idea of faith over fear. Uh, I'm actually traveling for business in North Carolina this week, and I saw it on a billboard, Faith Over Fear. And it's not only a book that you wrote, but it's a, a, a mantra that you live by. So tell us, what does that saying, how, how is it that it's meaningful to you, this faith over fear? You know, of course, doing a lot of what I've done, you know, a lot of uh, courses that I've chose to go on without, you know, like having my parents help or having anybody that I could even confide in, um, you know, that's fearful in itself. Because again, like I said, growing up an only child, you know, to a certain extent, it was always mommy, daddy, you know, can you help me? And then once I got to college, mommy and daddy were like, I can't help you anymore, but we can offer you the tools that you need, such as tutoring or putting you in contact with someone who might can help you. But like we didn't go to college we can't help you like you know you're doing something that we didn't have the opportunity to, to do so you know of course it's like well if mom and dad didn't do it then how can i do it so that was the first part of it you know just having that just initial fear of you know you're going to this huge university first time ever navigating these um particular waterways and then you're going into something like chemistry and my mom and dad were like nah we really can't help you with that <laughs> you know and then <laughs> throw some more into that mix and now i want to do research and they're like read what <laughs> so <laughs> you know so so many different levels of unknowns that cause so much just oh my gosh can i do this just the initial can i do this and you know leaning on my face and my faith is like, yes, because you have faith, you can do this, right? Um, so, you know, that definitely helped out just, you know, it like I got faith. I don't know where I'm going with this, you know, first, you know, first time college student, first time doing chemistry research, 
you name it, but I have faith and my faith will get me through. It will see me through. Um, and another part of that, um, you know, I think faith yielded me tenacity because, you know, again, I wanted to give up so, so many times. And, you know, if it wasn't someone telling me that I could do it, it was always this voice in the back of my head saying, you got this. You got this. Um, so, you know, it, you know, it was always just just something there that just continued to encourage me on my path. And, you know, like I said, I've had many times that I wanted to break down. And I remember in grad school, the many times I stayed on the phone with my dad and my dad's like, let me read you a verse. And I'm like, here we go. But then <laughs> the next day, it's like, you know what? I get it. You're right. I hear you, Lord. So, you know, so definitely, you know, having that faith, especially just, you know, like I say, it's just a lot of just unknown. So I think just just being fearful of the unknown, which I think a lot of us are, you know, we're just feel fearful of not knowing what's to come. And, you know, even though I didn't know where I was going with, you know, my path, you know, I still don't know where I'm going. <laughs> but, um, you know, it, it definitely put me in a place where, when I look back at it, the Lord was setting things in place then. He put the physics teacher in place to say, this is the course that you should start. Then he put the African-American scientists in place for me to say, hey, this is a program that I want you in. We're going to be your mentors. We're going to um, lend you all of the tools that you need. Then from there, you know, different mentors and research professors and different people that was just like, you can do it. And here I am now. Wow. Wow. And, and, and here you are now, uh, a 2021 Women of Color honoree. Um, I, I do have uh, another question that I want to drill down on for you because I know that you've been there and we'll, we'll get to it after the next segment. How about that? So I'll, I'll tease it up and say, I'll tease it up and say we're, we're going we're gonna to dig in uh, when we come back. But for now, I'm excited to keep the conversation going as I hand off to my co-host, Lango Dean. How's it going, Lango? It's going very well, Dr. Vaughn. Nice to have you back. Nice to be back. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to High Tech Sunday, featuring Dr. Mark Vaughn, Lango Dean, and our special guest, physical scientist for the United States Naval Research Laboratory and 2021 Women of Color STEM Conference Community Service and Government Awardee, Dr. Treva Brown. Registration for the 2021 Women of Color STEM Conference is now open. Stay tuned for a message from our sponsor. The Women of Color STEM Conference, DTX. This year, we are boldly pursuing our future as never before. As women, as leaders, as champions, we reset to rise. It's a new day. Don't miss this epic platform for women and our digital twin experience, giving you all that you expect from this powerful conference and more. We acknowledge your passion, your drive, your leadership, and your unwavering commitment to making this world a better place for women in STEM fields. The Women of Color STEM Conference, DTX, October 7th through the 9th, 2021. Register today at www.womenofcolor.net. Again, registration for the 2021 Women of Color STEM Conference is now open. So visit www.womenofcolor.net for more information. Now, back to the show.
Welcome to the show, Dr. Brown. It's been a pleasure listening to the conversation between you and Dr. Vaughn. You know, like Dr. Vaughn, I have to go back to that young girl. What What is it they say? You can't be what you can't see. And yeah. she saw you and whatever seed it was, was planted really, really early. I know you're very humble, early career scientist, as you said yourself, yeah. but you work in, in a place that has some of the best scientists and engineers in the United States. So can you tell, say you were to take that young girl to work one day, or you're talking to some of those kids out there, can you talk to us a little bit about what you do? I mean, you don't have to tell us everything, just a little bit. <laughs> yeah, so definitely. So first I would say that, you know, definitely it's somewhere that I didn't think I would be. I remember when I was approached with the opportunity, I was like, wait, again, y'all sure y'all are looking for me? So I think I was at that moment, that young girl, because I was like, wait, this can't, you, right, wait, no, this is not for me. Um, but, you know, you know, as you said, you know, uh, we are known for having some of the best scientists, engineers, you name it. Um, and, you know, and I know we're going to touch on this, but yeah, I, you know, I didn't feel like I, I deserve a spot at that table. But again, faith. Apparently I do. Um, so a little bit about what I do. Um, I like to tell kids that I look at things that are dirty and deteriorating and rotting. So if you think about um, a potato that you leave out in the sun, and if you leave it out in the sun for a couple of days and you go back outside, it's going to look all mushy and ooky and just gross, just straight gross. And so I tell them as a girl, it is just, just ugh, and all the girls laugh, and all the boys are like, ooh, that's cool. And so I say, well, think about, you know, uh, your bicycle. If you leave your bicycle outside, but let's say, you know, you dropped it on the ground too hard, and the frame bent on your wheel, and so that's a form of a metal. So if you leave that outside over time, what would the metal look like? And so they're like, oh, you know, sometimes it has that nasty orange stuff on it. And so I'm like, okay, yes, that is corrosion. So I deal with corrosion science, um, and I look at a lot of different types of metals that are a part of a wide array of Department of Defense assets. So anything from our naval ships to our naval air carriers to the tents that our servicemen and women are out there in the jungles with and the deserts with, any kind of material that is left out in the elements, I look at them. And the reason why it's important to look at them is because we need to make sure that our service men and women are safe and what we send them out on missions on to make sure that we are safe. And so, you know, without getting into the nitty gritty science of it all, um, we look at different organisms, so living things that actually causes the breakdown of these particular assets and we look at ways to improve them and make them better to carry on our different missions. That's pretty interesting because I'm thinking now, okay, because we had a scientist a couple of months ago, actually, I was going to say a couple of weeks, a couple of months ago, and what she does, she looks at cell death. So mm -hmm. it's, like, you know, the cells dying in the human body, right? But you're yeah. looking at corrosion of things, metals, Right. Yeah. How and, and how metal dies or how metal. Yeah, basically how right. it just basically breaks. Yeah, it breaks, breaks down. down eventually. Right. Yeah, so it breaks apart. <laughs> okay, great. Okay, great. Fascinating. So what advice would you give to a young student who wants to enter this field? I know you talked about that physics teacher that 
black scientists, those mentors, the research professors that you will put in touch with. And here you are, like you said. So what advice would you give to a young student who wants to enter into your field? What skills do they need most? Uh, so definitely. So I would say to take on skills that aren't popular. Take on those skill sets that seem unpopular. So one of the skill sets that I possess that not many people in my field possess um, is the ability to run and operate an atomic force microscope. So in grad in undergraduate school, actually, I did undergraduate research and I did a lot of materials and surface science using what's called an atomic force microscope. Now, what makes this microscope different is that instead of just looking down through a series of lenses, a, a very, very small and sharp tip, as you will, is placed upon the surface of a material and you're able to see 3D representations of a particular material. So one of the materials that I love to reference is gold because I love jewelry, I love shiny things. So if you look at gold under an atomic force microscope, you know, you can actually see that gold is not flat. And so when I was actually undergraduate research, I was like, what do you mean gold is flat? Cause you know, to the naked eye, you know, it's just this beautiful piece of metal free of defects if you have it in its purest form. So when you actually look at it underneath this atomic force microscope, you can see what's actually called etch pits, which are actually missing atoms of gold. And you wouldn't be able to see that without this particular um, type of instrument. So, um, with all that said, because I could talk about that all day, I love microscopes, um, but, you know, having skill sets that many people don't talk about, you never know where they will get you. One of the reasons why I got the position that I have is because I knew how to run that particular microscope, you know, and who would have known, you know, back in undergrad, it was like, oh, you know, y'all just sit down here, y'all are just like, you know, computer scientists. But it's like, you know, while they were laughing, I was setting myself up for a future that I didn't even know that I had. So I would say, you know, definitely go for those skill sets that interest you for one, because you definitely have to be invested and you have to love what you do. But two, go for those skill sets that aren't that widely talked about, because you never know how you can engineer or tailor them to make them work in your favor. That's interesting. So go for something, one, because you're interested in it, but also because of the wow factor, because you never know how it's going to blow up for you later on down the line. And talking about that microscope, is it something that you're able to see in high school or is it only available once you get to college level? So if it was up to me, you would definitely be able to see it in high school. But of course, you have different components that come into play, like, you know, of course, the money to keep it up, you know, someone that's able to train a teacher on it, a teacher having time being able to show kids, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but there's ways around it, you know, of course, like, you know, for institutions that are able to open up their laboratories that may have um, those types of microscopes, being able to get them um, into a college research lab or any kind of lab to see it unbeknownst to myself, I'm not sure if they are available in secondary institutions. I didn't see it until I got to college. So I'm, I'm honestly not sure. Okay, thank you. Earlier with Dr. Vaughn, you talked about growing up in your neighborhood, surrounded by love, of course, with your parents. And being an only child, you had their undivided attention. But there was also something you said that there were challenges as a black child in Louisiana. So what would you say to young black kids in Louisiana today, growing up in low-income neighborhoods, middle-income neighborhoods, not-so-rich neighborhoods, 
what would you say to them in terms of giving them a confidence booster? What would you say? So I always like to give the confidence boost first and saying, be yourself no matter what. Um, growing up, you know, I love, you know, I love everything girly girl. So getting my hair done, my nails done, always wanting to rock the latest styles. And I actually had people in college that were telling me like, maybe if you didn't spend so much time getting your hair and nails done, you could do better in this class that you fell in. It's like, wait a minute. No, that's not the reason why I'm struggling. I'm struggling because I don't understand it and you're not lending me the help that I need. But, you know, I always say stand strong in your so, and to that, I would also add, you know, I know that everyone isn't fortunate enough to grow up in a household where your parents are, you know, super supportive. You have some kids that are out here fitting for themselves, elementary, middle school. But I will say that there are people out there that are mentors that are providing the opportunities that, you know, is needed to um, continue to matriculate through this world as we know it today, because I know that it's hard. Um, and so take up those opportunities. You know, there's different programs that are always out there. There's always oil refineries here. Um, in Louisiana, we're known for our Exxons and Honeywells and oil refinery, you, you name it. They have STEM programs that are out there. It's just up to the students to first have that outlet to be able to reach them. So, you know, sometimes that, you know, goes with, you know, representatives. Sometimes the representatives don't, just don't know that the school is lacking. Sometimes the school doesn't know that the opportunities are there. So it's a, it's a give and take. So, you know, you, you got to look, um, you got to look for those opportunities. And, you know, if there's mentoring programs, like there was a mentoring program that I was a part of. And, you know, a lot of the opportunities that I had, you know, I probably wouldn't have got if it wasn't for that mentoring program, because that was just something that my parents didn't know about, or the school that I was attending, the school just didn't know about. So it's, it's taking hold of the opportunities. And I hesitate a bit with saying that because, you know, again, sometimes the opportunities, even though they're there, students don't know how to navigate to take part in them. And sometimes the opportunities that want to be put out there, some of those organizations just don't know where to start. You know, don't they don't know how to either get into the schools or reach out to those kids that, you know, just might go to school, then go straight home, etc. So there's so many levels to it. But I feel like we're at a time now where, you know, we're having more and more engagement, especially in the STEM disciplines, where it's basically, you know, you, you just got to reach out and go for those opportunities in whatever form. Yeah, I agree. There's a lot of investment in STEM right now, a, a lot more awareness of the opportunities that are there. And a lot more people are actually reaching out like your physics teacher did and yeah. the, the black scientists that you talked about and those mentors that you were put in touch with. But what else can young people do in these situations when trying to seek mentors? I mean, from listening to you, it's like you found a lot of support within the educational sector, within your school or your college. That's where you found the people who offer the most guidance. So what advice would you give to young people? Yes, so ask questions. There is never a dumb question to ask. Um, you know, for me, I, you know, if I had a question, I asked it. Um, whenever I met a person, I asked it. And, you know, though I am, you know, a very sociable person now, I wasn't very sociable back then. So I was very, very shy. And I know that that is hard for some students as well. They're very shy when it comes to, you know, just stopping a teacher, let's say, you know, your let's say my physics teacher and saying, you know, hey, 
hey, you know, I really don't know what I want to do once I graduate. You know, do you think you can sit down with me and navigate it with me? Now, let's say that teacher is like, no, I don't really have time. We now live in the age of Internet and we have public libraries and public libraries let you have free Internet access. I say Google your heart out. You can ask Google anything and that can help you charter your, your path as well. You know, find people that you can reach out to, you know, emails, social media. Another thing that I that I personally do, I'm on social media and I do a lot of outreach through there. You know, I'll post little funny science stuff or I'll post, you know, actual um, engaging content that's like, hey, we have a summer internship coming up for these programs. So there's a lot of outlets that we can channel as well, especially in this day of day and age where technology is key. And, you know, when we're also navigating, you know, you're in college, you know, if you're a person like I was and you were thrown into a 10,000 plus student, no, actually probably more, 30,000 plus student university, and you don't even know where to start, it's like, let me walk into my advisor's office and see who is on this piece of paper, because by the time I finish emailing everybody on this list, hopefully someone will get to me. So you have to put yourself out there. You have to be you. You have to stand out and show that you're going to put in the work no matter what. And I am definitely not saying that it's going to be easy because sometimes it's not. But you have to stick to it and you will definitely get there. I like that. Put yourself out there. Don't be afraid to do that. It's not going to be easy. Stick to it. Um, show intention. you got to be intentional about it. But, you know, this is something I want to do. And this is something I want to do well. Thanks to those pieces of advice. A last question before I throw it back to Dr. Vaughn, and that is, what is the best advice that you've ever received from a mentor? The best ever advice? The best ever advice. Let's see. Um, I, I want to use my mirror analogy because actually I just heard this one not too long ago. You know, one of my mentors said, you know, have you ever thought about that mirror that someone held up to you? And I'm like, mirror? What are you talking about? And they were like, did you ever see yourself being Dr. Brown? And I'm like, well, no. They were like, so someone held a mirror up to you. And I'm like, I still don't get it. So that mentor told me to hold up a mirror. When you look into that mirror, it might look a little hazy at first, meaning you might not know where you're going. You might just see a blank shell. You might just see a shell with a pretty face and a beautiful smile. But if you keep gazing into that mirror and continue to set your intentions on your passions or what you have laid forth for yourself, that mirror is going to start to display a complete and full, beautiful image free of any haze, any glare. It's going to be a complete picture of who you are and what you're going to set your sights to go after. So continue gazing into that mirror and make yourself be that representation of what you want to be first. So that mirror should be what you are exuding to the rest of the world. So be your own image and reflect that image to everyone else. Wonderful. Be your own image and reflect that to everybody else. Thank you so very much. Um, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. Over to you, Dr. Vaughn. Thanks so much, Lango. And, and I just have to echo Dr. Brown what Lango just said. Uh, that, that headline was amazing about be uh, your own image and reflect that to the world. It, it really does seem like you're doing that. 
And uh, that's really cool to be uh, your authentic self, if you will, because the, the people that you are inspiring, young people, they can spot a fake. And so, oh, yes. when you are, <laughs> so when you are being yourself, that in itself, I think, is attractive and a, uh, and a hook for them. So I teased up before the segment with Langle that I was going to go back to something that you kind of touched up on uh, a few times already in the conversation. You said that sometimes, uh, and we all do, but you said that you've experienced where, do I really belong here? Are you talking about the are this Dr. T? Uh, is is that really who you mean? Who me? And so, uh, oftentimes on High Tech Sunday, we've heard people talk about this idea of imposter syndrome. Uh, so it's like I'm I don't deserve to be here. I haven't earned my seat at the table. And so, can you speak just really briefly about how you dealt with that and? And what what suggestions would you give to folks who are are just coming out and and are gonna be if not already faced with that sense like I'm I'm kind of an imposter. Yes, so definitely. So again, this uh, you know I always had to work harder than you know a lot of my schoolmates. A lot of my schoolmates, so they don't really say colleagues, but a lot of my schoolmates. And so I was so used to just always working hard, always having to go above and beyond. You know, we talk about those sleepless nights. Unfortunately, those are a little bit more common than not, <laughs> especially, uh, you know, matriculating through school. And, you know, you, you get so used to being on the grind or you have people or your naysayers that I call them um, that are just like, you know, no matter what you do, you're just never going to be good enough or we're going to, you know, give this position to, you know, someone else who doesn't look like you only because you look like you. No other reason. Right. So, you know, I think just having a, a mix of, you know, those saying no or just not having the help that I needed mixed with, I know that I have to work double time because I have my eye on a goal and a prize and I'm not going to stop until I get there. So it honestly wasn't until I quote unquote got there that I was just like, all right, what's the next challenge? What's the next task? But at this point, you know, that challenge and task that I had been working so hard for, which was getting my PhD, it was completed. So for me, it was like, what, what's next? You know, what's the next thing? So, you know, while I was in school, while I was um, finishing my dissertation, you know, I had some scientists from the Naval Research Laboratory actually call my professor and they're like, hey, we're looking for a microscopist. And so they were like, you know, we heard of one, but we could, they couldn't really remember my name. So they were like, you know, we want to see if we can come down and talk to, you know, this student that you have. So it was me and actually one of my good friends that didn't look like me that they actually came to talk to. And I was nervous. I was like, mm -mm, this not going to happen. Ain't no way they about to take me and my little country behind to no NASA <laughs> to work for no government entity, like whatever. Like already, I'm already writing myself off, even though I know in my head I have put in the work, but I am writing myself off already. So, you know, again, you know, God stepped on in and, you know, the, the scientist I met with, he was amazing. We are great friends. He is a great mentor to this day. And so I remember, I will never forget, I was actually doing a philanthropic event. I put on a um, breast cancer awareness fundraiser and I was in the mall trying on my outfit for this event. 
in the dressing room and I get an email, you've been offered the position and I'm screaming, praising God, crying at the same time. But then I came down really quick and I was like, nah, y'all playing. This ain't right. Like y'all sent me a joke email. Like this not for me. <laughs> and I just remember, you know, I told my parents, they cried. They were like, this is what we pray so hard for, for you. This is what, you know, you worked hard for. But I'm like, no, this is not for me. Like, I didn't even apply for this job. How could this be? So all of that, all of that imposter syndrome just sitting in and that in that one space. And so I said all of that to get to this particular part of the story. When I started working there, I was so used to just always working hard. I was coming in early, leaving late. And my supervisor happened to pass by and he's like, why are you still here? And I'm like, well, my work not done. He's like, well, there's always tomorrow. Then the next mm. day and the next day. And I'm like, but no, like this has to get done now. And he walks into my lab and he sits down and he locks eyes with me and he says, you have already put in the work. You have showed yourself more than capable of doing the job that we hired you for. You don't have to work this hard anymore. You've already proven yourself. And I just sat back and I was like, wait, okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> Okay, like it had to like it had to it really had to sit with me because I was like, I know that this is what I did. <laughs> but having someone to be like, you do not have to work this hard, like you have already put in the work and this is your reward. Let me re reiterate that you have already put in the work and this is now your reward. So that in itself, if that's not a headline and a takeaway from this whole segment, you have put in the work. You are not an imposter. Your reward is what you are living in now. So for me, my reward is what I am living in now. And I, I mean, now that I've grasped that concept, I sit in it and settle in it. And I guess, you know, my form of just kind of putting that energy back out into the universe is just the outreach and reaching back to these young people and me being able to tell these young people, like, look, we are here as mentors and I'm including myself because I pride myself on being a mentor. We are here to help you get to your wildest dreams too, because this is what definitely one of my wildest dreams. And I'm sitting in the moment, even though I had horrible imposter syndrome, but I know that I worked hard for this moment and work hard for your moment and you'll get there too. Wow. And the high tech Sunday church said, amen. That was, <laughs> <laughs> that was, I mean, again, uh, you could tell that that was uh, your personal apex, if you will, for that part of your journey. So thanks so much for uh, helping all of us because uh, you will run into folks, I'm sure, who have been in the field for 20, 30, 40 years who still have to guard against that imposter syndrome. So uh, the meme in my head right now is a drop the mic. That was a drop <laughs> the mic moment uh, and it's something that all of us needed. So thank you, thank you, thank you for that. Uh, before we wrap up, wanna ask you if you could just give us uh, some information about how folks can follow and, and, and check in with the work that you're doing, your YouTube channel, maybe uh, your handles on uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, whatever it is that folks might be able to take away so they can kind of keep this inspirational journey with you going. Yes, definitely. So on LinkedIn, you can search for me, Treva Brown. I'm sure I'll pop up under the U.S. Naval Research Laboratory. 
on Instagram, Diva underscore Treva. I know because my name rhymes with Diva. That's why. <laughs> um, so Instagram, Diva underscore Treva. Um, if you look for me on Facebook, it's Treva B, which is just the first uh, letter of uh, my last name. Um, but honestly, you know, I, you know, I, I used to apologize for doing this, but again i'm learning to walk in my favor so i tell people to google me so google treva brown lsu nrl batteries something like that and i'm sure i will pop up if you miss all of that other stuff so google just google me baby yes <laughs> <laughs> so you all heard it here uh dr treva brown is googleable so check her out uh and we really really appreciate you uh spending time with us today on high tech sunday i'm I'm telling you, it's been a good time. We're going to hand it back over to Brandon Newby, who'll see us out. Thanks a lot. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of High Tech Sunday. Career Communications Group's High Tech Sunday looks at professional development and technology through the lens of spiritual philosophies. In a time when digital information is more critical than ever, this weekly program is produced by and for CCG's community of alumni and professionals in science, technology, engineering, and math fields. The community runs from national thought leaders to aspiring students, and this weekly series aims to bring a concentrated discussion around technological advancements and achievements based on universal moral principles. The one-hour podcast will be streamed every Sunday. The podcast can be accessed through the Bayer Facebook page, Women of Color Facebook page, and CCG YouTube page, in addition to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, and Spotify. Please join us next time. It's time to get your nominations in for the Bayes STEM Awards. The honorees will be recognized at the Bayes STEM Conference held annually with a community over 10,000 strong that focuses on celebrating excellence by showcasing career opportunities and professionals in the STEM fields. The 36th Annual Conference will be held on February 17th through the 19th, 2022. Please visit www.ccgheroes.com for more details on our nomination process to make sure nominations packets have everything it needs for the upcoming Bayer STEM conference. All peer-reviewed nominations are due on August 31st, 2021. All Outstanding Achievement Awards are due on October 1st, 2021. Again, please visit our website at www.ccgheroes.com for more details on our nomination process.